0: Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Polish Sky Podcast. Podcast. It's the Polish Guy. We have a model American of the week. Holy crap, that defense is good. Let's get on the lighter side of things. Holy crap, that defense is good. They are the
1: weak up they were. They'll find a way to win a couple of games and maybe they should. All things sports. <laughs>
0: All right, everyone! It's a very exciting edition of the Polish Guy Podcast. Your host, Rich Kapinski, here uh, on here. It's it's an exciting one because it's our guest today is a guy I'd like to use just uh, like to borrow just uh, one attribute attribute from. He's a uh, an Emmy award winning broadcaster, former Gator, former Bengal, former voice of Madden football, longtime contributor inside the NFL. And the, uh, the co-broadcast, part of the broadcast team of the highest rated show on television today. and he's also a lawyer. Folks welcome everybody Chris Collinsworth to the podcast. How you doing there, sir? Yeah, Rich, what's going on, man? Not too much it's a, it's a great day. We're talking just after the uh, Hall of Fame game so officially football has begun again. Um, Before we get into the good talk about this season, I just wanted to, uh, in case people don't know, just take a couple of minutes to let everyone know, how did you go from retiring after the Super Bowl with the Bengals to, to getting into broadcasting?
1: But the next day, uh, I got a couple of calls from NFL teams wanting to know if I had anything left, and I told them no. And uh, and then I got a call from HBO, uh, Ross Greenberg, Rick Bernstein there, and they asked me if I wanted to work for Inside the NFL. Well, I didn't have a job, and I would just gotten married, and my uh, wife was pregnant, and I was like, sure I'll take a job and uh, wanted me to do features and I had no idea what a feature was or how to do it but I said sure I'll take it and take the money and then a day or so later the local radio station called and offered me a job and I was in law school I was just going to finish that and go be an attorney and I had two different jobs for something that seemed a lot easier than going to
0: law school so I stayed in law school but uh, that's that's <laughs> that's a nice way to have that all happen. Now, uh, through your public interviews, I mean, uh, people know that uh, you know now that you're a lawyer. You have a son going to Notre Dame. You have a daughter going to Harvard. Um, you you want to have like one of your children back off a little, take a little, uh, take a little pressure off the grandkids. <laughs> Actually, I have two kids going to Notre Dame now. My other son Jack's going up there. there's so, oh okay. Out of all of them, they're doing well. My daughter Katie, my oldest daughter Katie's working
1: in Orlando, so and she went to the University of Florida, so she's the only one I can relate to.
0: <laughs> well, I, I guess the first football question I, I want to go and I, I want to go uh, I want to go way back on this one because I, I think people talk about football and they talk about it being a game of inches. Well, it's also about a game of timing. And I I think there's some very interesting stuff in Bengals history leading into my my question here. There's a name by Greg Cook that not a lot of people know, but Bill Walsh was part of the Bengals coaching staff with Paul Brown in the AFL days, and when Cook uh, had a rotator cuff injury that ended his career after one year, Virgil Carter was forced to be the quarterback and that was sort of the birth of Bill Walsh becoming Bill Walsh in capital letters so my question to you is you you played in when this really started hitting the NFL I mean the 70s was a rough and tumble ground game and then you enter the NFL and and the passing game changes being a former receiver how how exciting has that been for you in this time period well, I'm glad it happened on a lot of different fronts. One, I was a receiver, so it was kind of fun
1: to catch the ball. Uh, but I think in some ways that may end up saving the game. Uh, you know, the, the blocking rules changed uh, the, your ability to throw and, and hold along the offensive line. Obviously made it easier to throw the ball. They allowed the receivers to start running free down the field. Uh, but Bill Walsh sort of made the running game a passing game you know those short quick throws pullbacks that could catch get the ball out of your hand don't let those pass rushers uh, hit your quarterback it it changed the way people thought about throwing the football and you know they sort of based the quarterback rating I always thought around the bill Walsh system you have uh, high percentage passes uh, you know completion percentage Uh, no interceptions, uh, and it's no surprise that the Walsh's quarterbacks are ranked among the highest in the the history of the game because that's really how uh, all that stuff came about. But it's been a positive on another note, and that being when we look at the concussion issue right now, um, pass blocking obviously is easier on offensive linemen than than run blocking as far as the concussion issue because they're standing more upright and using their arms. They don't get as many helmet to helmet collisions with receivers and defensive backs like you would with
0: a running back coming through the hole. All right, yeah, it's very interesting how you bring that up, and I, I think we have a, uh, a couple of trends in football nowadays that you're seeing there's there's different forms of thinking involved, but I think that's how the passing games are evolving at this point. First of all, uh, you have the, uh, the Patriots, uh, who had their two-headed giant at tight end a couple of years ago, and you start seeing teams slowly starting to emulate that because you know, this is a copycat league. You're going to see it, uh, and, and it's going to happen. Now, last night you were just mentioning this about the Cowboys, and maybe their style might be a little more traditional since they're, they're talking more about toughness, and uh, they bring a guy like Rod Marinelli on the defensive side of the ball. But in truth, the, the tight end now is truly becoming a weapon of the passing game And then the other thing coming in is now the pistol formations and the read options, and I just think we're going to see these trends continue until uh, people, still defensive coordinators start uh, solving them a little bit better. Uh, How do you feel? Do you agree on that? Yeah, uh, they're obviously two completely different issues,
1: but Um, You know, the substitution patterns uh, have really changed the game. It used to be 11 guys on the field, those 11 played the other 11, and maybe one substitute, you know, there used to be a messenger guard coming back and forth calling the plays or something like that, but not the sort of wholesale changes that you see with defenses trying to match personnel changes of the offense and all that. So then the natural evolution of that was to find guys – could play multiple positions. So you didn't have to substitute. So you could play the fast paced game. And that turned into these tight ends, these guys that were never drafted in the first round, uh, former basketball players like there's Gavin Escobar for the Cowboys who they drafted. Um, and because what happens now with these big body guys that can move, you split them out, It's the team. Uh, goes into their, you know, big linebacker personnel and stop the run. You go, okay, fine, we can take these guys, put them out, we're going to throw the ball. They flip it around, they bring a nickel back in, bring those tight ends down, and you're on the ball. I mean, that's really as simple as, as that game becomes. Uh, and it's hard to answer. So now defensively you've got to find sort of that hybrid player that can cover in space. And yet still be stout enough to come down and play the run when we just line up and pick on a uh, tight end in a one-on-one kind of blocking situation. As far as the other, the pistol and the uh, some of that read option stuff that we're seeing, uh, that is uh, still really interesting for me. Uh, the obvious question is: Is the quarterback going to get killed? I think you're going to see this year even more so than last year. Uh, people. Uh, specifically assigned to hitting the quarterback. And now the rule changes that are coming into play are going to impact that. So what is... So if the quarterback is carrying out a run fake, in other words, hand the ball to the fullback going through, and now he comes down, you know, like he's got the ball in his hand, well, what the league has told these defensive coordinators is, you can hit him. And you can hit him as hard as you want. So that's going to bring a little element of danger to that read option. And and what they've told them is if you want to uh, not to be protected, you've got to back up. So if the quarterback, he can still do a half step of a run fake, but then he's got to go into a back back pedal to get some kind of uh, the protections that they give the quarterback. So. Uh, we started seeing a little bit already in the Super Bowl. I mean, they were definitely going after Colin Kaepernick and trying to hit him hard on every play on every one of those read option plays and it had an impact on him. Uh, but that's going to be the next step. And of course, RG3 didn't make it through. He got hurt. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if these guys can stay alive doing it.
0: Yeah, there, there's certainly a, a lot of risk-reward on both sides. You know, you talk about uh, how you saw it in the Super Bowl and you know, even with the rules uh, protecting the quarterbacks more nowadays, you know, there is some risk of the defense to even do that. And th- it's a trend that's going to continue because what uh, one of those hidden plays that, you know, is always so fun to talk about is the play that was blown dead in the Super Bowl uh, right before all the incompletions happened, it, it looked like Kaepernick had a, had a line for the end zone, and he still rushed for, you know, big first downs in that game. So I I think it's only natural that we're going to see this more. After all, the the only team that even ran stuff like that 20% of the time was the Redskins. And talk about how they lost their quarterback or talk about the mismanagement of him, perhaps. Uh, It's just only natural to see that I I think this trend is going to continue. Because another point that you made is that, you know, we have these hybrid defenders now. We have... The guys where the tackles are having difficulties with several guys that instead of being 280, they're now 260, 265, and every bit as strong and able to get past past the tackles and collapse pockets. So until it stops working or until too many people get hurt, uh, another big name or something, I, I just don't see how the trend doesn't continue. Well, but there aren't that many
1: guys out there that, do it, you know, I mean, you have to be, obviously, a gifted athlete, be able to run the football all the way a Colin Kaepernick or Russell Wilson or an RG3 can, uh, but you got to be able to throw it, too, so there just aren't many of that, uh, there aren't that many of those guys on the planet right now, but I think you'll see more and more of them develop. Um, colleges are almost all running this play now. Uh, and it's one of the few times probably that we've seen the, uh, the, the pro game adapt itself to what the college and the high school kids are doing. Uh, obviously, in high school and college, you're not quite as worried about if somebody gets hurt uh, from a standpoint of, well, boy, I'd like to have my quarterback for 15 years. You're usually only going to get them to play in you know, a year or two anyway. interesting trend like all trends that's all it is until it has a major impact but when three rookie quarterbacks come into the game and all three go to the playoffs basically running that same style i'm throwing colin kaepernick and there's a rookie he's the second year guy sure um, but uh, you know andrew luck was also made the playoffs in more of a traditional style but the other issue that comes up is are they better protected in the pocket the way Andrew Luck played the game, or does this read option and this freezing of those defensive ends and the pass rushers and the allowing of receivers to work their way down the field while all this play fake is going on, uh, does that actually end up protecting your quarterback? Dan will make the point that he thinks the R G three was better protected than Andrew Luck standing in the pocket. And he had some evidence that 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 might have been true. So, uh, I don't know. You know, we're still playing with this one. So, we'll see as it goes along
0: this year. Yeah, it it should be, uh, you know, uh, Peter King mentioned this this morning, but, uh, you know, I also read the uh, uh, Pro Football Outsiders Almanac. The uh, RG3 actually almost uh, doubled his yards per play when he was running play action. So, it's, (laughs) you know, and the funny thing about all these things that we talk about, is over time, you know, teams are only gaining, uh, I don't know, a uh, few dozen yards more than they were 20 years ago, and they're only scoring like an extra point per game. We talk about all these changes, all this read and react, and, you know, while this is interesting, it's, you know, football is still the same as it always was. This is just a- another trend. And uh, I i it,
1: It'll be fun to watch because the option game is, I ran it in college and in high school, but the idea that you can leave one key defender unblocked and beat that defense is pretty remarkable when you're starting to draw up blocking schemes. In other words, when RG3 is reading DeMarcus Ware, you're leaving arguably one of the best
0: defenders in the entire league completely unblocked. So what's the the best way to handle DeMarcus
1: Ware? To not block him. There's something a little strange about that, but when you auction him, that's exactly what happens. And so uh, now the guy that would have been blocking him is blocking down and so now your running back has two blockers at the point of attack blocking one guy while DeMarcus Ware has to worry am I giving it to that guy or am I going to run the football that's the magic of the, of the option game. Um, and one of the reasons that it
0: was so wildly successful in college for all those years. Well, yeah, you know, it, it goes against, you know, it, this is something that people always like to do when they're talking about defensive backs. Um, you know, force a guy to make a decision. You know, there's always, uh, you know, is he going to cover the tight end seam route? Is he, uh, he going to try to cover, you know, Randy Moss deep while he's running a nine? You know, whatever. But, you know, the point with this is now you have the running game where you're taking defensive ends. And remember, in Week 17 last last year, the Cowboys were essentially playing for their playoff lives. That was a playoff game for them, and DeMarcus Ware did not look like himself, and it was because he was forced to make decisions on the edge instead of playing the way he normally knows how to play. So when you, the most interesting thing for me is now you're seeing a you know run games used to be okay. We try to get a seam here. You know you 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 listen to uh, things like uh, Vince Lombardi and, you know telling you about the Packers sweep and we're gonna get a lane here. We're gonna get a lane there. Now now you're taking some of the thinking of the passing game and putting it in the run game. Meanwhile, we're doing the opposite on the other end with tight ends where they used to be part of the run game and now they're a dangerous part of the vertical passing game. It's It's a lot of fun. people that can do multiple jobs, that's
1: really the key. And I think you'll see the Cowboys playing and really the entire league this year playing the read option differently. I think there'll be one guy assigned to one job. In other words, if DeMarcus Ware has the quarterback, you don't hesitate. You go get the quarterback. If you have the pitch back, you don't hesitate. You go get the pitch back. If you have the dive you go get the dive, and that's easier said than done because when you leave that guy on block, you get a double team at one of the points of attack, and it's tough for that guy to overcome that
0: double team. Well, and then you've got the pressure that, depending on how you scheme it defensively, is the pressure now going to be on the, the Sam backer or the Will backer? Uh, because, and and what's going to happen again where his assignment on that particular play was actually to be with the tight end? You know, A lot of confusion that could still happen there and, and make offenses successful anyway. But certainly the idea that you have something new is going to always be mitigated by the very first point of all this is that can the quarterback stay healthy? I mean, this is a quarterback league. We, see, we saw four or five big names get about $20 million a year to be quarterback, and that's a sixth of everyone's cap. It's going to be all about that. There's, there's no way around that. And, you know, right now all these guys are young that are
1: doing it. You know, we're seeing Pete Manning and John Brady play until they're 36, 37, 38 years old. Now, I can't imagine RG3 and Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick playing until that age because of running the ball. You know, they're going to take more hits. Now, maybe it doesn't work it out that way. Maybe we end up seeing three option quarterbacks that have careers that are you
0: know, between six and eight years, or whatever. Well, it, um, yeah, and that's very so cool. But, but that's a difference, you know. That's a different way of looking at it. But now, with the,
1: the drafting these guys and not having to pay them the fifty million dollar contracts, you've got to set salaries that uh, maybe you can
0: get away with doing that. Well, at least for three years before they can renegotiate or something like that. You know, and that if they're, if they're still alive, then you know. You're just, Get a new contract, or not? Get a new quarterback. Yeah, I think that's very interesting what you say about this type of quarterback lasting six or seven or eight years. Because now you're talking about how the salary structure has changed. You know, these guys don't get that big money right away. It's always going to be about the second contract. The second contract might be four, five, six years, and this goes the goes actually towards one of my other other theories I've been trying to develop over the years is I, I, I call it the 800 carry theory. Um, I do have some support so far on this, but I, I don't like selecting running backs out of college who's had more than 800 carries in their career. It's just something I don't like. I think it's too many hits. Now, with these quarterbacks, you know, what if over those six, seven, eight years, now you're talking about 800 carries and hits for these quarterbacks extra in the NFL, not college? So I, I think it's interesting where this is going to go. Just where? How's that second contract going to look, and how, what's going to be left after those seven or eight years? Yeah, and the
1: second contract is really the key one because that's when you got to put up or shut up. You know, that's when these guys are going to get paid uh, big money. They deserve it, and you know, depending on the health of that player at that point. Um, you know, you've got a tough decision to make. You know, can a re option quarterback survive another four years? And you know, that's that's we're, it's all uncharted territory right now. I don't think anybody really knows because we haven't had anybody play that style for beyond a year or two. So you know, but it's what what keeps us all talking about
0: football twenty four hours a day. There's uh, <laughs> there's lots to talk about. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's certainly a fun time. Um. I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the, the Bengals and and the uh, AFC North this year. Um, just in the AFC specifically, you know, I want to talk about a little bit of trying to find those those teams that are, are the sleeper teams. Every single year, there's a team that goes four and 12, 5 and eleven, and they jump up and, and they make the playoffs. For the AFC, for the AFC, it seems harder for me to find these type of sleeper teams this year. It seems to be a top of the crop type of thing. And with the AFC North, my goodness, what a what a drag out fight that looks like it's going to be again. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, you
1: know, to me, the North really comes down to you know, I. I, I, I I think the Bengals can absolutely compete, and I'm not so no sure they don't have a more talented roster from top to bottom than do the Pittsburgh Steelers. Although the Steelers now are with getting their offensive line back healthy after uh, the training wreck of year they had up front last year, they, they're going to be better. But without Mike Wallace, uh, the Ravens a lot of changes, but they may end up, you know, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed for. Great players and their brains alone probably won them a couple of games a year, uh, but they were getting older. So now they're younger and fresher. Charles Sarkis will be a, a year better after uh, his injury. Uh, so that really comes down to can the Bengals and, and can Andy Dalton in particular play with Joe Flacco and Ben Roethlisberger? You know that that to me is the, is always the great equalizer in this league. If you've
0: got a, you got one of those quarterbacks, and both those guys have won Super Bowls, and you know, can Andy Dalton make the plays when he has to make them uh, to get this team over the top? And you know that's where and Ryan can handles the same boat. Uh, that's that's what the focus is going to be. Yeah, I, I think the the, the problem that I, I've seen, and and I'd like to try to to prove this with some tape, is with with Dalton uh, specifically. Uh, you know. He does have clear limitations throwing the ball with accuracy along the sideline, and the arc of his ball and the deep ball is always, you know, seems to be always in a way where A.J. Green's got to make a play for him. You know, I, I think that we're talking about the evolution of the game and, and how detailed how how the offenses and defenses are trying to fight each other. You know, Dalton was ranked somewhere between 23 and and 24 in in adjusted air yards, which means, you know, simply he's not throwing the ball down the field most of the time. He's he's checking down, and and you see that a lot on specifically third downs. I I think because of where his limitations are, you know, we have this truly evolved edition of football that we're watching every day, but a lot of times it feels like that against – you know, on the big plays, it seems like you can get away with just running a, a, a cover two against the Bengals, and I, I think he's had a hard time beating that because uh, of that specific weakness. So, while I think that the roster for the Bengals, uh, you know, if I gotta ha- if I have to rank them one, two, or three, I think roster talent Bengals are probably one with uh, the Ravens. Probably two, in my opinion. Just, just with sort of an incomplete because we don't know how how these legs are going to work instead of the heads of those great players. But I think Ozzie Newsome at this point has kind of earned like a a career credit. So, and and the Steelers, you know, they're going to be healthier. But you know, Roethlisberger gets hit every single year, misses a couple of games every single year. Are those going to be two of the key games of the season again? So. I, I don't know. Uh, do you Have you seen the same sort of things that I'm seeing with Dalton?
1: Well, I think to some extent it is Jay Gruden's style of offense. You know, just like it was John's. They're not going to let their quarterback get hit. They're going like, to get the ball out, uh, get it in the hands of playmakers, and let them go. Well, the answer to that style of offense has always been, you know, playing cover two, because cover two means, yeah, you got two defenders deep, but you also have five underneath, and when we were talking to Jimmy Johnson and Dave Warnstead about cover two defense, and I said, you know, something about, oh, well, you got to have two, two great players on the back end, because you only have two instead of three, and they kind of looked at each other and smiled, and I said, what? He said, no, he said, teams don't even try and throw it deep against cover two. They said because so we put all our athletes in the five guys underneath. Because and then when you're throwing into, into five guys and underneath coverage, those holes are very big. Uh, and if you're going to throw it down the field, typically you have to make some tough throws. You have to make that middle read with a linebacker chasing him traditionally and two safeties closing. Or you have to try and throw it in the hole uh, on the outside and, you know, between the safety and the boundary. And at the very least, you know, as a receiver, you're going to get hit hard. So, you know, there's no easy throws down the field in that situation. But, you know, it, it's what's it can be made. But you need playmakers to make them. You need big tight ends that are willing to go up and take a hit in the middle of the field. And you need wide receivers who are willing to take a shot along the boundary because those, that's where those
0: plays can be made. <laughs> That's going to be interesting there. Um, I want to talk, you know, talk about the the sleeper teams. Uh, you know, I, I think everyone's starting to really dive into football again. And uh, is there a team that you have just got to, that you think people might not be talking about that that could be a sleeper team this year? AFC, NFC doesn't matter. Just just any team. Uh,
1: you know, that's, that's right off top you you gotta think. I, I think almost any of the teams in the NFC South, you know, kind of fall into that category. Uh, you know, but
0: <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, the
1: teams in the NFC South, I think, across the board have a decent shot. You know, Cam Newton was like, seven and nine a season ago, but a team that finished hot, and played well down the stretch. Uh, uh, yeah, You've got to always think that they're they're going to have a possibility. Sean Baton, Drew Brees back together with the Saints, uh, Josh Freeman, uh, with the way that they remade that secondary, don't, I don't think that is going to give up the number of big plays that they did in the passing game uh, a season ago. Uh uh-huh. so, Uh, with a chance. And the, the other team that I'm really interested to watch now is Arizona. Uh, I thought they had a good defense a year ago. Bruce Arians is a quarterback maker. Uh, they had no play from the quarterback position
0: at all uh,
1: a <laughs> no. season ago. And, and uh, Larry Fitzgerald has to be uh,
0: ready to roll with uh, you know, Carson Palmer playing quarterback. Yeah, you know, last year in Arizona is, is very very difficult to watch at times. Uh, there's not many times where, where a guy like me on a couch can uh, can see a, a NFL player do something that they know they could have done, because Ryan Lindley m- managed to throw 120 NFL passes without throwing a touchdown. I, I don't think the, the Cardinals are going to run into that same situation this year. Uh, no, I, I don't either. And, but there, there are many more cases
1: to be made. I, I, I think anybody Philadelphia is the most intriguing team in the league because who knows what's going to happen with that team? Is Chip Kelly going to come in and be able to do the same things he did in college and up tempo and make Mike Vick work again? You know, there's a million questions with that team. Or are they going to be you know four and twelve? I don't think anything Philadelphia. did
0: I certainly agree with that when, when going over certain things. And there's certain certain facts that, like, you know, Cam Newton, this is sort of a contract year for him because he can negotiate at the end. Uh, so you have that. There's no way that the Saints are going to have one of the worst defenses in the history of football again. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Breeze isn't going to be as ineffective as he was. You know, there's something there between him and Sean Payton where, uh, he's not going to be forcing as many balls as he did last year. You know, a very high interception rate for him, so you're, you're not going to see those things. And, and with the AFC, I think the most interesting team that that I've seen is, I think the Colts, and I got a very specific reason for this is because the Colts last year they took what could have been an incredibly negative story and turned it into many many positives. You know, as despite how much Andrew Luck got hit. You know, he, the six uh, second-half uh, comebacks. Uh, the, uh, the, the fact that Bruce Arians finally got his coaching job at the end of it. Uh, the, of course, the, everything about Chuck Strong, all that. And then you have the metrics where they, they lose the eventual Super Bowl winner, and the metrics are saying, this is the worst playoff team we have ever, ever seen. But then they go out, and they get Pep Hamilton. They get a guy that ran the offense that Andrew Luck knows for Stanford and you know, a lot of teams will you know, a lot of people will say, well, there's no way the Colts can go eleven and five again. Yeah, sure. They probably weren't an eleven and five roster last year. But in this offense, can you not see them being an eleven and five team this year? Especially with you know, especially they're playing with Jacksonville and Tennessee. Uh, Jake Locker has to be more accurate if that team's gonna be successful. So I, I can see the Colts doing it again.
1: Well, let's start with Andrew and You know, there's a reason he was taken first, despite RG3 and Tannehill and Russell Wilson all being available. Why, here's a guy that can win from the pocket. He can win running the football. He's as fast as any of them. He's big, he's strong, he's durable, and makes unbelievably good decisions for a guy. And And I still don't know... Uh, that the easiest way to win games in the NFL, and it's proven so far, is for one man to stand in the middle of the field and be able to distribute the football 53 and a half yards wide and then 60 plus yards down the field. That's a lot of space to defend. You know, you start rolling out, you start moving one way, you cut the field in half, but when the quarterback stands in the middle of the field and can attack that much square footage uh, on a football field—that's
0: still been the formula for success in this league. And out of all the young guys, he still probably does that better than any am. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's going to be an exciting year to watch. And and I, you know, I, I don't think we talk enough uh, uh, about about this particular thing. You know, and I'm guilty of it too because I, you know, I have to. Report, you know, for, for footballpros.com, I've got to report what's the news. And, and obviously, a lot of the times, the news is a negative thing. You have Aaron Hernandez, you have the concussions, you, you have the Riley Cooper thing. But you know what, I think we, we need to talk about more. And I was just doing my quarterback rankings today, and just how incredibly difficult it was for me to do any any spot in between 4 and 22. I, I think we we have to realize this is an extraordinarily great time of football uh, that we're watching right now, and I don't think we get to say that enough. I, I think that I think too often it's it's easy to to just do the negative that will get the page views instead of glorifying the positive, and I, I'd like to see us do that more. I mean. We have to realize what sort of time period we're in here. Uh, how do you feel about the excitement that's come the current state of the game? Well, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's ever been more
1: interesting, and um, in part because of what's happening with these quarterbacks. You know, you've opened up. It used to be there were about seven eight guys that you had possibly had a chance to win a Super Bowl with. Now I think that that number of traditional quarterbacks has expanded to you know, probably 12, 14. And in addition to that now, we're seeing that there's an alternative way to win. There's uh, Colin Kaepernick, there's Russell Wilson, there's RG3. And, and people are starting to go, wait a minute now. Maybe I don't have to have Tom Brady or Peyton Manning to win a Super Bowl. Maybe we can do what." Russell Wilson does drafted in the third round. Maybe we can do what Colin Kaepernick's doing, drafted in the second round. Uh, and you know, maybe there's other ways to win games in the NFL. And anytime you get that sort of internal debate going about, I you know I don't have I don't have John Elway, but what are my options? Well, your options used to be you lost. <laughs> I <wanted to> <laughs> from the quarterback
0: position has been expanded in a way that I think makes the game as interesting as it's ever been. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's just an incredible amount of fun. Um, last question for you. Um, you're, you're coming off of the Hall of Fame game. You got to see uh, Ken Anderson later in his career, but two or three of the seasons that he had with you were his highest completion rates of his entire career. You know, seeing all those Hall of Famers, I believe it was 122 in one spot this weekend. Is that correct? That's about right. <laughs> uh, do you feel like Kevin Anderson should be in that room? Uh, there's not a doubt in my mind. Uh, you know, he
1: was. You know, he was the original Bill Walsh. I'm not sure if Bill Walsh ever makes it to where he is if it weren't for Kenny Anderson and showing that it could work and. The accuracy and the quick reads and um, and all that, but I I think you won. What four passing titles? One MVP. Went to a Super Bowl. Uh, Just compare the numbers. And I think from a pure numbers standpoint, unfortunately, quarterback seems to be the one position that unless you won a Super Bowl, it takes overwhelming numbers uh, to put you in the the Hall of Fame. Uh, But. Talk about who were the dominant players of the era. I I, don't, I just I, I don't know how you can not look
0: at what Kenny Anderson did and, and say he belongs there. Yeah, you know, and it's incredible. It, 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 I agree with you, and it, it's incredible how close things can be. Um Does Joe Flacco get twenty million dollars a year if a second-year safety doesn't take a bad angle on a bomb? <laughs> I mean, that's. But, you know, I, but, but I could flip that around too. A bad angle, unless
1: Joe Flacco can throw that thing about 65-70 yards without planning a speed. You know, there aren't any quarterbacks to make that throw either. So
0: no, it, it, it's not like it was warm either. I mean, that was he was no. throwing a rock. So that was that was one of the great throws
1: to buy that time. His receiver essentially stopped on the play. So I mean, it's not like you know, it was just—it was unbelievable. It was a—it was, was a game Denver could not lose from where they were. Sixty-nine seconds, no timeout out for the Ravens. Home field, freezing cold. All they had to do is let them complete a few passes, make the tackle, and the game's over. Uh, that's that's one of the great, one of the great wins or losses depends on how you want to look
0: at it in the history of the game. Now, you know, I began the podcast uh, describing the game being a game of inches and also a game of timing. I think that that play is iconic for last season. I think it's a great one that illustrates both. Um, Mr. Chris Collinsworth, thank you for being on the uh, Polish Guy podcast today. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to write for your website. It's uh, really nice uh, doing something that uh, I've enjoyed my whole life and then finally putting it out there and uh, I just thank you for taking the time today.
1: Rich, my pleasure and uh, enjoy working
0: with you, Thank you. Uh, Rich. Folks, it really doesn't get any better than that. That is the uh, the the Chris Collinsworth. I mean, just, uh, I, I don't think there's ever been a podcast we've had where uh, so much football knowledge has been packed into 40 minutes of fun. And I just, uh, you know, it's it's just great. We're uh, For this special edition, we're going to skip the Model American of the Week. Uh, obviously, you know who I probably would have picked. Uh, in short, uh, you know, a drunk guy did a stupid thing. So, R- Riley Cooper, you know, my answer to the whole thing is, Simply, if getting drunk makes you do things like that, then you shouldn't drink, and you certainly shouldn't drink in public. And other than that, you know, if he really was or is a racist, then just don't be one anymore. That's a bad way to go. So I don't know what the answer is, but I do know a couple of things that could make sure that that never happens for uh, Riley Cooper again. And... uh, That's it for this edition of the Polish Guy Podcast. We thank Chris Collinsworth again. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Polish Guy Podcast. It's the Polish Guy. We have a model American of the week. Holy crap, that
1: defense is good. Let's get on the lighter side of things. Holy crap, that defense is good. They are what we thought they were.
0: They'll find a way to win a
1: couple of games, and maybe they should. All oh, things sports. <laughs> Post-Guy Podcast.